Oh, go blue, huh? Yeah. Uh, no, no. Some of you shaking your head. That wasn't popular, was it? Some of it for half of the room. Not a good idea to have the half the room turn on you right at the start of the <laughs> message. Not a good idea. Anyways, good to see you. Uh, if you have a Bible, we're uh, going to continue looking into 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. If you uh, did not bring a Bible or don't own a Bible, there's a Bible in your seat around you. You can have that Bible if you don't own a Bible. Um, but we don't want you to just keep a hardcover Bible. We want to give you a good Bible. Uh, so if you have a, don't have one, we'll, let us know, and uh, we'll uh, re- replace it for you. Um, so we've been looking at just 1 Corinthians 15, which is the chapter that um, Paul talks about the resurrection. And so the last few weeks, we've been saying without the resurrection, there's, there's no grace. Um, and so we looked at, you know, how, how the Apostle Paul, uh, and, as well as, you know, 500 plus people, Peter, James, uh, they all received grace from Jesus, even though um, maybe they didn't deserve it. But that's, if they, if they earned it, they deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. And so without the resurrection, there's really no grace. Last week we talked about uh, without the resurrection, there's no faith. Uh, there's no faith. There's, we would, this would be pointless if there wasn't the resurrection of Jesus. Us gathering together on a Sunday morning wouldn't, wouldn't matter. It wouldn't mean anything. It, wouldn't, it would just be you know, a waste of time for us if there wasn't the resurrection uh, of Jesus. So uh, today I want to talk about um, without the resurrection, there is no morals. There, there's no reason to be moral. Um, it would be pointless if it, without the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, today is Palm Sunday. I don't know if you know that or not. Today is, that's what today is. Uh, it's called Palm Sunday. Uh, the reason why it's called Palm Sunday, because um, Jesus, uh, the week before um, he resurrected, he came into uh, Jerusalem. And as he's coming into Jerusalem, uh, the people that were there in Jerusalem for Passover, uh, there was literally thousands, maybe even millions of people there in Jerusalem for Passover. As he's coming into Jerusalem, the people began to um, honor him and, you know, praise him for, for who they believed that he was at that time. They believed that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the, the, the Son of God. And, um, and so as a result of that, they were treating him in that way. They were praising him. They, were, uh, they would lay their coats down um, as he's riding in on this donkey, which, by the way, was predicted 500 years uh, prior to his, his birth, uh, that he would come in on a donkey, and, and that would be um, you know, a sign of that this is the Christ, that this is the Son of God. And so he would ride in on this donkey, and they would lay their coats down. But they'd also lay down their palm branches. They would, they would lay down palm branches, which was a way for them to say that he's our king. He's our Lord. He's our Christ. He's the Son of God. That's what they began to do. It's interesting, though, how quickly they turned. And as a matter of fact, the prophecy, which was written 500 years before Jesus was born, is found in Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that's exactly the way that he came in. Jesus, though, when he was coming in, he was weeping. They were celebrating. They were rejoicing greatly. But Jesus was weeping. Why was Jesus weeping? Because Jesus knew how fickle the human heart is. Jesus was weeping because he knew that, you know, Judas, who spent three and a half years with Jesus, that Judas would betray him. He was weeping because he knew that Peter, who spent years with, with Jesus, would deny him. He, he, he knew that he was weeping. He knew that, you know, in 40 years that the, the Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem would, would come in and be destroyed. The temple would be destroyed, and it did. It happened in 70 A.D. He was weeping because he knew that Caiaphas, the high priest, would work with Pilate, a Roman governor, and, and, and bring about his crucifixion. They knew he, he was weeping because he knew that the people that were yelling out to him, Hosanna, and laying coats on the ground and palm branches on the ground would, would cry out, eventually, crucify him, crucify him. So these are the reasons why Jesus was upset, even though the people were around him were celebrating. Jesus was upset because he knew how fickle the human heart is. 
He also knew that the human heart needs a king. Every human heart needs something to lock onto. Every human heart needs something to call its Lord and its master. Every human heart, as a matter of fact, all every one of us have placed something in our life as the most important thing. Every one of us, whether you agree or don't disagree, every one of us have, have something that we value as most important. And that's our, our Lord. That's our, our King. And Jesus knew that the, how fickle the human heart really was. And that's the reason why as he's coming in, he was, he was weeping. The other reason why he was weeping is because they hoped in this life only. That was the other reason why he was weeping. They, were, they, were, they put their hope in the fact that he was going to be the king who would, you know, remove their oppression away from them, that, that the Jews were under the impression of the Roman government. And so their, their view of the Messiah, their view of the Christ was, is that, that he was going to come in and he was going to put the government on his shoulder and he was going to remove that oppression from them. They wanted a king there and now. As a matter of fact, when they were crying out, Hosanna, 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 that meant save us now. Save us now. Like, deliver us from this oppression here on this earth. But Jesus didn't come to die for them so that they could have immediate salvation of a government. Jesus came and died so that we can be eliminated or delivered from the oppression of sin. And Jesus said, listen, I've not come here as a result of you so that you don't are under the oppression of a government or a ruler or a nation. I've come here so that you're no longer under the oppression of sin so that your heart can find what your heart is looking for. And that is a king. That your heart can lock into something that is real and tangible, not something that is going to fade away, not something that is going to disappoint, not something that, it, that you're going to, you know, you know, you lose your passion about because it doesn't deliver the way that you want it to deliver. That Jesus said, I've come here, that I've come to give you life, life abundant. I've come here so that you can have fulfillment in your life. I've come here so that you can fill that void that is in your heart and in your soul that nothing else in this world can fill. That's what Jesus came for. But they wanted, they believed that if they hoped in this life only. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, and this is sort of where we left off last week in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, he says, if we've hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. That if our life was, was about this life, if, if our fulfillment or our peace or our joy was about what we could get from this life, he said, we should be, we should be pitied. We should be pitied. That if, that if, as Christians, if, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, if Jesus didn't resurrect, then what we're doing as Christians, we should, people should feel sorry for us. And we, and I gave a couple examples last week talking about how Christians and many of you in this room, you give your money, you give financially to the work of God. Why? Because you believe that there's something more to this life. You give your time, you give your energy, you give your resources. Why? Because you believe there's something more to this life. That it's not about what we get here. It's not about what this life has to offer. This life will disappoint. Has anybody found that out so far? Everybody has found this out in this life. This life will disappoint. This life will let you down. But we believe in something that is beyond this life. We believe in something more. But if, if we're wrong, if Jesus didn't resurrect and we believe that he did and he didn't, then we should be pitied. Why? Because we give a percentage of our money, because we give time to the work of God, because we, you know, sacrifice things in our life. Paul says it this way in verse 30. Here's the way that Paul says it. He says, why are we also in danger every hour? So the context is, I'm not living for this life. I'm living for something more. And then he, he, he takes it further for himself. He says, why are we, keep it on, verse 33, thank you. Why are we also in danger every hour? In other words, he says, every single hour, I've put my life on the line. Every single day of every hour of the day, my life is in danger. Now, this isn't relatable to us. Can I just be honest about that? Every you're not in danger every hour, right? 
You're not in danger every hour. But let's just, so let's just tone it down to where we are. You and I, though, have discovered that life has its struggles, right? Right? Come on, life has its issues. We, we deal with, we battle with things every single day. We're not in danger every hour like Paul was, but we have issues. We have battles. We have stuff that we're fighting against and, and, and temptations and, you know, people that if you, if you are living out Christianity, if you truly are a Christian, you know, you're, you're, you're working through stuff as a Christian and, and what that looks like in, in, in context to your, your job or where you go to school, you're, you're trying to work that out. And it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy to be a Christian. So Paul is saying, if he didn't resurrect, if he didn't rise from the grave, he says, why, what, why would I put myself in danger every hour? He says in verse 31, he says, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in, in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says this, I die daily. You know what he's saying? He's saying every single day my life is in danger to the point of dying. Paul, who was a persecutor of the church of God, saw Jesus alive. His life was changed forever. He, he took a 180 degree in his life of, of persecuting the church. Now he's serving the church to the point of where he says, I'm in danger every hour of the day. And it goes so, so far to say that I die daily. I come to the brink of death Every single day. Verse 32, he, he gives an example that they would know. Okay, here's what he says. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus. Now, we don't really know if they were actually wild beasts or if he was describing a time when he was in Ephesus that he almost lost his life because of a mob of people. He could be describing um, a mob of people uh, you know, that were attacking him in Ephesus for sharing the gospel of Jesus. So that could be what he's describing. Or you can go back to history of the church and you can go back to actual events that happened to Christians and Christians were, were fed to wild beasts for being Christian. That's history. That's reality. That happened. And so Paul could have either describing wild beasts as, as you know, a, a human mob, or he could be describing them as actual wild beasts, um, and he survived it. How? I have no idea. But what does it profit me? This is a great question. But what does it profit me? If I'm in danger every hour, if I come to the brink of death daily, if I fought against wild beasts, whether they were humans that hated the fact that he preached the gospel or actually wild beasts, he says, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. He's saying, why would I expose myself to the dangers of this life? Why would I allow myself to go through difficulties of being a Jesus follower? Why would I put myself in a position where I come to a near death every single day if the dead are not raised? If, the, if Jesus didn't resurrect and, if, and those who put their faith in Jesus will also resurrect at their death and go to heaven for all of eternity, he says, why would I expose myself to the challenges of being a Christian? Being a Christian is not easy. Anybody discover that for yourself? Being a follower of Jesus is simply not a calling that has been found to be easy. As a matter of fact, people that look into Christianity have said, you know what? I don't think that this is a life that I want to lead. There's too many sacrifices that I have to make. There's too many things that I have to give up. I have to be selfless. I have to be humble. And that just isn't our culture. Being a Christian is hard. It's hard. And Paul says, if I'm going to continue to live as a Christian, I believe that the dead are raised. I'm living my life as if there's something more for me. If there isn't a resurrection, he says, I might as well just eat and drink 
for tomorrow I die. He's saying, if, if Christianity isn't real, if the resurrection didn't happen, I might as well just live it up. I might as well just live it up. I might as well just go and get obliterated, you know. I might as well, you know, go and have a party every Saturday night, you know. I might as well just just be, just engage in, in selfish acts, you know. You know, glorify myself in the pleasures that this world has to offer. If the dead aren't raised, Paul says, why would I put myself in danger? Why would I live out the Christian principles if the dead aren't raised. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. What's the difference? What's the difference? Now, I want to guess that a majority of us in this room believe in the resurrection. I would believe, I would say that the majority of us do. They believe, but now, I think that that should be a motivation for us. It was for the Apostle Paul that because of the resurrection of Jesus, this is a motivation. Here's what Paul is saying. It's a motivation for serving, a motivation for serving. The resurrection of Jesus is a motivation for serving. This is why the majority of us in this room serve. They serve. You know, there's Jesus told a story of a rich man. The rich man had so much stuff he accumulated so much, so many possessions that he didn't have a big enough barn or barns to, um, you know, support all of the stuff that he had uh, in his possession. And so he, this man, rich man, decides that I need to tear down my old smaller barns and I need to build bigger barns. So that's what he does. He builds these bigger barns and he stores up all his possession. And then he says, you know, to himself, he says, Jesus says, soul, you have many goods laid up for yourself for, for many years to come. Take ease. Look, this is, what, this is what the rich man says. Take ease. I've got all of this stuff. Take ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, look, look what God says. But God said to him, said to him you fool. You fool. For this very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? In other words, you hoarded all of these things, all of this stuff. But what, is, what did that do for anybody? You accumulated all of this, these riches and all of these material possessions. And you hoarded it and you built bigger barns to store it in. But what does this do of you? And he says, this night is required of you. In other words, you're dying tonight. But who gets to own what you have prepared? You've hoarded instead of give. You've collected for yourself instead of distributed. What is that? What good is that? He called him a fool. He says in verse 21, so... In this man was stores up treasure for himself, and he is not rich towards God. This guy's like, I'm gonna just get a, I have all the stuff that I need in this life. I'm gonna eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow I die. And Jesus said, God says, You're a fool. You're a fool if that's what you think this life is all about. Hebrews 11, which is a chapter about faith. It's about different men and women of, of faith and what their faith looked like. And towards the end of Hebrews chapter 11, look what it says about some of the people. It doesn't mention their names here in this section, but it tells you exactly what they, what they went through. It says, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. It says they quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Then look what it says. It says women received back their dead by the resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release. Why? So that they might obtain a better resurrection. Do you know why they allowed themselves? Do you know why they exposed themselves to be fed by lions? you know why they allowed themselves to fight in wars for the name of God? Do you know why they allowed themselves to endure different tra tra troubles and trials and tragedies? Is because they believed in a better resurrection. 
They believed in a resurrection. Now, the reality is, is that none of you, none of us in this room are going to be fed to lions because of your faith. Right? None of you are going to be, be required to do anything where you're going to, you know, your life is going to be on the line based on, you know, where we live in this world now. It doesn't mean that there aren't people out in this world that, that aren't, you know, persecuted and literally at the end of their life as a result of being a Christian. It doesn't mean that that doesn't exist out in this world. It just doesn't happen here in Wald Lake, Michigan. Can we all agree upon that? But here's what, here's what I think that we, that we could look like, what, what, what it looks like. You could say, I taught kids so that I may attain a better resurrection. You could say, I invested in teenagers so that I might obtain a resurrection. You could say, you know, I was a greeter at a church door as people were walking in. Why? So that you can obtain, because you can obtain a better resurrection. You could say, I don't know, I worked in the sound booth because that looks like it's hard to do based on the first five minutes of this service. That looks like it's hard to do. So I'll, I'll you know, I, but so I can obtain a better, better resurrection. I will dress up like a character and pass out candy for a trunk or treat. Why? Because I want, I believe that there's a better resurrection. Listen, it's not just about, you know, being fed to lions or wild beasts or being in danger every single hour. Sometimes it's just about serving people. And the motivation for serving is the fact that many of us believe that the dead are raised, this ought to be a motivation for you. Proof of the fact that the Jesus did resurrect is a guy like Paul who persecuted the church. His life was transformed forever to the point of being willing to die for what he believed. And I told you this last week. Lots of people die for what they believe, right? Lots of people die for what they believe. But people don't die for what they know is false. Paul was in a position to know whether the resurrection happened or not. Paul would not have died for a lie. He wouldn't have died for a lie. He would, his life wouldn't have been transformed. If the body was stolen by the disciples, there was no way that the disciples were going to go to Tall of, of Tarsus, or Saul of Tarsus and say, Hey, Saul, listen, we're making up this story. We're trying to start this religion called Christianity. And in order for it to you know, take off, we're going to pretend like Jesus resurrected. Hey, are you in on this? I know you're trying to kill us for believing that Jesus resurrected. But hey, do you mind changing your mind on this and joining us in this? Because we think that if you're in this with us, Saul, we think that we can really make a difference for Christianity, even though we just stole the body and dumped it in the Dead Sea. That's why it's called the Dead Sea, because that's where Jesus is. No, I'm just kidding. I'm making that up. And so there's no way that's going to happen. There's no way. You're not going to convince Paul to change his life for a lie. Never would have happened. Paul put his life in danger. The reason why Paul put his life in danger, the reason why Paul was motivated to serve was because he saw Jesus alive. And it wasn't just him. There was 500 plus people who saw him alive. And that's a secret you just don't keep. And if it was a lie, that's not a lie that you can keep up either. Not a chance. He was motivated by the resurrection. And what motivated him was the motivation to serve. He put his life on the line. All we're asking you to do is pick up some Easter eggs. Boy, I set you up for that one bad, didn't I? That was like, that was not even nice. That wasn't even fair. All we're asking you to do is fill some eggs? Are you kidding me? All we're asking you to do is invite Fran? You just have to invite Fran. 
What's, hard, what's so hard about friends? Some of you are like, I don't know what he's talking about. You've got to be here. You've got to be here for this series. Friends, relatives, associates, or atheists. I don't care. <laughs> Neighbors or nerds. Shouldn't that be a motivation? Christian, Christian, talking to Christians. Shouldn't that be a motivation? We're not feeding you to wild beasts. I'm not telling you that. I mean, maybe these kids are going to look like wild beasts next Saturday. I don't know. But we're not doing that. We're motivated because Jesus resurrected. That's what motivates us. I'm not trying to tell you something that you shouldn't, you know, already go, yeah, ah, yeah, you're He resurrected. Of course, that changes everything. Of course, that changes my motivation to want to serve him. Man, I walked downstairs before I started preaching. Man, like, I I hope this doesn't upset you, but like almost every one of those kids down there were crying. And I just felt bad for our workers. But I look over at our workers, and they're just smiling. They get the smile on their face. Like, it's going to be okay. Your kids are fine. Trust me. Your kids are fine. They're safe. We're loving on them. They're going to be okay. Usually it's, it's one, and then they get the other ones going, and then it's usually how that works. Your kids are okay. They're all good. I'm sure they're just loving Jesus right now. They're going to be better Jesus followers when you pick them up. We promise. But... That's the motivation. The motivation that they have is he rose. So why wouldn't I serve? He's alive. So why wouldn't I give my time? Why wouldn't I give my resources? Why wouldn't I give my effort? The dead are raised. We live for more than this life. This life will disappoint. You already know that. You already know that. The other motivation, Paul says it this way. Verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals or good character, good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now, this is... um, Interesting, this is a quote that Paul is quoting a Greek, um, he was a Greek writer, he was a Greek playwriter. And so Paul is, is, is quoting a, 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 a secular um, playwriter, uh, his name was Menander, he was quoting one of his plays, he was quoting a line from one of his plays. So Paul is using um, a, a phrase that apparently was evident during that time in Corinth where people just knew that phrase, bad company corrupts good morals. Everybody sort of knew that phrase because it was from a popular Greek playwriter. So Paul uses this, this phrase. It would be like me if, you know, if somebody came to me and said, you know, uh, pastor, I'm really just struggling with my faith. You know, I'm just trying to, you know, keep it going. And then I would say something along the lines of don't stop Believe in, hold on to that feeling, don't sing the rest of the song, because, right? I mean, that's kind of how it works. You know, maybe like, it would be like, you know, maybe one of the teenagers would come to me and say, oh, pastor, it's so hard to be a Christian, you know, at my school, you know, and, and I try to live out Christian principles in my school, but man, they just really just hate on me. And then it would be me going, you know, haters are going to hate, 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 hate. No, no, no. But I'm going to, and then I would say, but I'm going to shake, 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 shake. Shake it off, shake it off. It's not bad advice. Don't stop believing, hold on to that feeling. Not bad advice. Hey, Hey, haters are going to hate, 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 hate. <laughs> Just shake, 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 shake. Shake it off. Shake it off. That's not bad advice. 
if you're a guest, you're never gonna come back. He's like, he's quoting <laughs> Journey songs and Taylor Swift songs in church. But this is kind of what, this is, I'm sorry, but this is what Paul did. Paul's like, hey, bad company corrupts good morals. This wasn't, you know, from the Old Testament. This is from a playwriter. But it was good advice. Bad company corrupts good morals. And so he's telling them, listen, guys, listen, don't, don't, don't get caught up into bad company. Don't get caught up with the people that are going to, you know, motivate you or encourage you that, you know, that this isn't real, that, you know, that God didn't resurrect because this is what happened in the church in Corinth. There was a group of people that came in and started telling the church in Corinth that he didn't resurrect. And that's why Paul, at the beginning of the letter, said, listen, he did resurrect. As a matter of fact, there are people that are still living, because this letter was written, verified, written 20 years after the resurrection. That's when this letter was written. This was proof. This was evidence. Even scholars who are skeptics will tell you that Paul actually wrote this letter. Paul was a real human being who who converted to Christianity, who wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. This is verified. This is verified. You can't say, well, my parents told me this, or I Googled this, or my professor in college said this. Listen, they're wrong. They're wrong. Any credible skeptic will tell you, Paul was a real person. Paul wrote a letter. Paul wrote this letter to Corinth 20 or 22 years after the resurrection. And what he told them was, there are people in Jerusalem still alive who will verify for you that he rose from the grave. If you want to take a boat trip to Jerusalem, he's telling them, take a boat trip to Jerusalem, ask people around, and they will tell you, yep, we saw him die on a Friday. We saw him alive on a Sunday. They'll verify it. This is Paul saying, listen, you've allowed bad company to corrupt good morals. You've allowed people to come in and corrupt those things. Now, here's, what, here's the motivation. Here's the motivation. Look what he says now in verse 34. Verse 34. Become sober-minded as you ought. In other words, sober-minded means think right. Listen, listen, listen. This is Christianity. Christianity is not a feelings religion. Christianity is founded on mountains, mountains of confirmed, verified manuscripts of evidence. No other faith base, no other religion, no other movement, no other philosophy has as much support for the claims of Christianity than what Christianity has. Christianity is a sober-minded faith. In other words, this is a think-rightly kind of faith. This is a I'm, I verify this. This is, I'm confident of this. This is, this is true. This is right. That's what Christianity is. It is a sober-minded kind of faith. And here's what he tells them. Listen, the dead rose. You need to think right about this. Don't let bad company, don't let other people tell you that this is false. They have no claims for that. Zero. You need to start thinking right. Set aside how you feel like God has wronged you in your life. You got to set that aside. You got to set aside experiences in your life that you feel like that have told you otherwise the contrary to the to the word of God. You need to set aside pride, believing that something is true. That has no, it's not verified, there's no veracity to it at all. He says, we need to become sober-minded as you ought. And here's what he tells them to do. Stop 
sinning. Stop sinning. That the resurrection of Jesus should tell us, should inform us that we also have this resurrection power inside of us. Listen to me, listen to me. This is where Christianity, I get it. This is where Christianity, you sort of, ah, you know, this sounds weird and hoaxy and supernatural and I get get it, I get it. But listen, the reality is, is that you and I have resurrection power to, listen, this is important, to stop sinning. You have that. You and I have that ability inside of us. Christ in you, the spirit, it's called the Spirit of God, comes and lives inside of you. And then the same power that tells us that the same power that rose Christ from the grave, that same power is in you when you put your faith in Jesus. And that faith in Jesus empowers you to stop sinning. Quit living as if that he didn't resurrect. And if listen, if he didn't resurrect, eat, drink, be merry. But he did. He did. So stop sinning. A couple reasons why he tells us to stop sinning. Number one, he says, look what he says. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Boy, this is hard stuff. I know it. I know it. He says, listen, here's why you need to stop sinning. Because you're being a bad example to those who don't know God. People are looking at your life, and they're looking at it and going, well, they go to church on Sunday. They go to a Bible study sometimes during the week. They pray over their meal. But their behavior is the exact same as mine. Why should I change? Why should I give up my time, my energy, my resources so that I can just be just like them? Now, listen, 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 listen. You and I aren't any better than anybody else. Can you hear me? You hear me? I'm not saying that you and I are any better than anybody else. As a matter of fact, embracing Christianity is realizing how big of failures we are and that we do need a Savior. Some people will say to you, oh, Christianity is just a crutch. You better believe it's a crutch. I need a crutch. I need a stretcher. I need somebody that's going to come into my life and transform me from the inside out so I can be the kind of person that God has always intended me to be. You better believe I need that crutch in my life, and so do you. And there's people that you work with. There are people that you live with. There's people that you do life with that have no knowledge of God. In other words, they don't really understand what it means to be a Christian. They don't really understand or embrace the fact that, you know, that Jesus died and rose from the grave and, 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 and now is at the right hand of the Father. And that when we put our faith in him, that we can be where he is. And listen... You and I need to stop sinning so that people can see that there's a God that does a transforming change in us. It's called sanctification. I'll give you a moment to write that down. But it's called transformation, sanctification. It is is God starting from the inside out changing us into the person to be more like Jesus. You know what your coworker needs is not somebody cool that comes along and says, you know, I do that too. <laughs> you know what your coworker needs? They need Jesus. They need Jesus. They need you to be Jesus to them. So listen to me. Stop sitting. He's alive. And people that you know, Fran, did I, have a t- did I talk about Fran already? Fran needs to see that there's a difference. That there's a God who actually does transform our lives from the inside out. 
Man, I mean, look back at your life and go, man, how much have God has done in my life? What is God is doing in my life? I mean, I could tell you story after story after story of things that, are, that I'm shameful of, and I'm just so glad that I'm not who I was 20 years ago, that I am who I am today. If you would have told me 20 years ago, hey, Chris, you're going to stand before people and proclaim the gospel, I would have laughed at you. Because what I was better at than proclaiming the gospel was sleeping in one of these chairs where you're sitting during church. At least you're still awake. So that's a good sign. That God can change you. But listen, in order for him to do that, in order for him to do that, you need to stop. And I need to stop sinning. Because there's people who need to see the hope that we have not hope in this life only but the hope that we have in a life to come a life that is eternal stop sinning for their sake for their sake Solomon one of the wisest men to walk this earth he says this in Ecclesiastes, he, he wrote this, and this is, I think this is so helpful for us. Here's what Solomon says. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. So Solomon's saying, listen, I, man, I was like pros prosperous. I was rich. I had everything that I needed. And so Solomon, I think, was bored. He got bored. So Solomon to try, starts to experiment in life. And here's what he says he does. He says, my wisdom also stood by me. So I had everything that I needed and I had my wisdom and everything that I needed. Okay, verse 10. He says, all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. Everything that I, he says, everything that looked good to me, I was like, I'll try that. I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. So everything he set his eyes on, he had. Everything that he, his heart wanted, he had. He says, I worked hard, and, and I, just, you know, I, I was rewarded for all my labor. Verse 11, he says this. He says, thus I considered all my activity which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, look what he says about it. All was Vanity. He says, I had everything that this life could offer, everything that was pleasing to my eyes, everything that I could gather into my possessions. I worked hard and I earned rewards for my, for my labor. He says, everything I considered, all my activities, which my hands had done, and he found out this one truth that I think you and I all know. It was all vanity. It was striving after the wind. And look what he says. And there was no profit under the sun. But you know what? You already know that. You already know that. Everything that this life has to offer, you already know. You already know that it doesn't satisfy. Listen, the cravings for more in this life remind us there's more to life. They should. Every craving that you have in this life, it should remind you that there's more to life. And Paul, or excuse me, and Solomon says that everything that I tried to attain or achieve or accomplish or accumulate in this life, in other words, he was saying, I'm just gonna eat and I'm gonna drink and I'm gonna be merry. But you know what he discovered? It was all vanity. Everything under the sun was in vain. It was empty. But you know what? That's the key under the sun. Under the sun. But you know what we believe because of the resurrection of Jesus? We believe that there's more above the sun, don't we? Yes. We believe that there is more above the sun. Yeah, everything in this life under the sun, it's all vanity, but we believe that there's something more for us above the sun. And that's why we not are fed to wild beasts, that was Paul, but that's why we 
pass out candy or change a diaper in the nursery or greet somebody when they walk in the door. That's our motivation. That's why we stop sinning because we believe that the resurrection power of Jesus can transform, can change us forever. That's why we are motivated by that resurrection so that we know that we have the ability to stop sinning and be an example to those who have no knowledge of God. Because there's more beyond the sun. Beyond the sun. The other reason why I think you should stop sinning is this. Because Jesus resurrected, it says in Romans 11. Let me show you what it says in Romans 14. I'm sorry, Romans 14. He says, for this end, Christ died and lived again. Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. He says, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? Look what he says. For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. Verse 11. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall shall give praise to God. So that each one of us, he says, so that in each one of us will give an account of himself to God. You know why you should stop sinning? Because you can. It's a bad example to those who don't know God. But you know the reason why you should stop sinning if you believe that Jesus resurrected from the grave? is because you're going to stand before God one day. You're going to stand before God. You say, not me, they are sitting next. No, no, no. He says, all will stand before God. Whether you believe or don't believe, all will stand before God and will give an account of himself to God. And I think that it would be wise for us to realize, listen, that there is accountability beyond the sun. That there is a God that is going to hold us to a standard in this life and that we're going to be judged by him when we stand before him. And you say, it's not going to be me. It will be you. It says that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Here's what I would recommend. I would recommend that you do that now and not then. I would recommend that you bow your knee and say, you are Lord, you are God, you, are, you have rose from the grave, and I will live my life for you in honor of you because of what you did for me, and I'm going to proclaim you to the world because you change lives forever. I would just do that right now because when you do that then of what he's talking about, it's going to be too late. You and I are all going to be held accountable. This is not popular preaching in Western church culture world. You're not going to hear that at some watered-down church down the street or somewhere else. You're going to hear truth from me, though. You're going to hear truth from me because I love you, because it's important for you to know the truth. You're going to stand before God and give an account for your life. The good news of the cross of Jesus Christ is when you put your faith in him and you're going to stand before him, he's going to consider you free and redeemed and your sins are going to be washed away. That's the good news for all of us that have put their faith in Jesus. But the reality is that you and I are going to give an account. So Paul says, why would I, why would I eat, drink, and be merry? Why would I live it up? Because I know that I'm going to have to give an account for my life. And so because I know that, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to live for him. And I'm not going to live for myself. I'm going to live for him. I think the resurrection is a motivation for you to serve. I think that the resurrection is a motivation for you to separate yourself from sin. The people that don't know Jesus need to see a difference in you. The people that know Jesus, every person 
will give an account one day. You will bow. Your tongue will confess that he is Lord. I think it's a motivation for all of us. Let's pray. God, um, it's not always the easiest stuff to say. But Lord, we um, want to have a, the reality. We want to have sober minds. We want to think right. And know that because you resurrected, because the dead are raised, it motivates us to live for you because we're living for something beyond the sun. We know that under the sun, it's all vanity. It's all meaningless. It's nothing under the sun that's fulfilling. Nothing under the sun is satisfying. As a matter of fact, we all know that in this life, it's disappointing. It's discouraging. It's challenging. And you told us that. You told us that in your word. Jesus reminds us of that. And in this life, that we're going to have troubles, we're going to have tribulations, but be of good cheer, you tell us, because you've overcome this world. That we're living for something beyond the sun. Because nothing's worth living for under it. It's all vanity. God, help us to be empowered to serve, serving with the realization that the dead are raised. And that's our motivation. To serve and be motivated by separating from sin. To stop sinning. So that those can see the transforming power in, in our lives. And know that we're all going to stand before you one day. And we're all going to have to give an account. God, the last thing I want to do is discourage or hurt people. That's the last thing I want to do. But what I believe I'm called to do, God, is to share truth and love. And I pray, Lord, that everybody here knows my heart and my motivation to know that I love them and their, their souls are important, not just to me, they're important to you. Your desire, your ambition, your urge is that none, none would perish. None would be lost. Thank you for the time together. Pray a blessing to one. In Jesus' name. God bless you, everybody. Have a great day.